want to thank you for each testimony given tonight. And Lord, thank you for each one here. And Lord, we're thankful that even in the middle of the cold winter, we've got a nice warm building to meet in. We see you answer our prayers and Lord, work in our hearts and lives and through our church here in Astoria and giving us opportunity to help and reach out to other areas. And Lord, literally all around the world through our missions giving, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. And go ye kids. I think you should go at this point. The rest of us, if you need an outline, we're just going to continue on in our journey through the Gospels and Really, we now begin having to make some choices as we go through the uh, order of events as they're recorded in the uh, Bible. And uh, we, we do not consider that uh, necessarily a, uh, uh, a contradiction or an error in the Scriptures. What we're doing is we're just getting the stories from four different perspectives and and uh, uh, actually reading a book on dispensationalism that's proving very interesting reading, actually. And uh, uh, he makes a, a statement there that we have four different stories or uh, gospel witnesses of the life of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful... We can, uh, he used the term, flatten out the message of the Gospels by just stacking them all together and, and making them say exactly the same things when what we ought to be doing is taking them as interlocking pieces of a puzzle, let's say, that give us the full picture. Uh, Matthew will give us some and uh, little bits here and Mark and Luke. And when we put all three of those together, we get a fuller picture, more full understanding. A rich young ruler is certainly an example of that. We find in one of the Gospels that he was young and another one that he was rich and, and the other one that he was a ruler. And so we put those things together and that's what we're trying to do here as we uh, move through our text in Matthew chapter 8. Um, we, we start in verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So this is uh, after the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is leaving. And we're just going to uh, follow uh, basically Matthew's um, chronology through this. And as Jesus is leaving the mountain, there were great multitudes listening to the sermon and uh, um, we are now somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six months into the first year of Jesus' ministry. He was uh, at the Passover in Jerusalem. He comes back, uh, and now his public ministry has begun he has already made calls to most of his disciples at least once. He is putting together his team, as we might say. And as he leaves the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets up very clearly for anyone who wants to read and understand this message 
what it means to be saved, what it means to enter the kingdom, what it means to trust Jesus as your personal Savior. There is much. Do not let uh, the, uh, 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 for lack of a better term, your hyper-dispensationalist and other people who would chop our Bible up into little tiny pieces to take away the Sermon on the Mount because it is the essence of what a person's life ought to look like if Jesus is living inside of you. Amen? And so as we move from that, these lepers, uh, this, I'm sorry, a leper comes, he worships him in Matthew's account, he bows down before him in Mark and, and Luke, and he said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now Jesus does something here that is very um, telling, and we're going to see this repeated uh, as Jesus goes to heal Jairus' daughter. Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. Now, under normal circumstances, uh, a person with leprosy, if we understand the Old Testament law and all of those things, they had to go around like this. They had to put their hand or, or a cloth of some kind over their mouth, and they cried, unclean, unclean, wherever they went. Uh, we know now that leprosy in certain people groups, uh, literally the darker your skin, the more prone uh, you can be to leprosy. Uh, it is now really in uh, Asia, it is still a very, very serious disease. They still have leper colonies in certain countries, Vietnam and, and uh, uh, Thailand and uh, many of these nations where people who are afflicted by this disease uh, uh, are, are uh, treated. There are medicines and things that help, but in Jesus' day it was a death sentence. And so he's got to keep his distance. If a leper were to touch you, you would be unclean for seven days. You'd have to take a bath. You would have to... Uh, you couldn't go home to your family. You couldn't sit at the dinner table with other people as we would. You could not go to the temple and offer sacrifices until you had been cleansed. And yet, Jesus reaches out and touches the unclean. Now, here's what Jesus was doing. He was proving the power of his purity. You see, the leper, if he had touched anybody else or came into contact with anyone else or anything else, it would have become unclean. If a leper touched the hem of his garment, like the, um, um, the woman with the issue of blood had, Jesus' clothes would have been unclean and he would have had to get different clothes. Because you can't make clothing clean. That's one of the reasons Jesus didn't touch Lazarus. Because the bandages that had been on his body were there. They were unclean. Jesus told others. But when the leper who was unclean, a human being, Jesus could reach out and touch him. And the leper who was unclean had no choice but to become clean. 
Do you see the beautiful picture there? Leprosy is an illustration, is a uh, picture, a type, we might say, of sin. Uh, because leprosy kills. Leprosy doesn't kill you all at one time. Neither does sin, does it? It's little by little over a period of time. And, and once diagnosed with leprosy, uh, you'll find in the Bible that it doesn't. It, it very, very rarely uses the word healed. It always uses the word made clean, uh, because a leper with a running issue or any of the uh, symptoms was made clean. And here we have in verse four, Jesus said unto him, "See thou tell no man, but go thy way." Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, that's the end of Matthew's uh, story of this. Now, we'll just turn very quickly to the book of Mark. And we're, we're not going to do this with every story in the, New Test, in the Gospels, because if we did, we would be here until next year. February, just going through the four Gospels, and we're going to try to move a little more quickly than that. But we get down here, and verse 43, it says, And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See, thou say nothing to any man, or Mark chapter 1, verse 44, and saith unto him, See thou tell not, say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and blaze it abroad, the, and and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So, we get a little bit more of the story in the book of Mark, and this actually lays down um, a, a little bit of the background for the next story. Because as Jesus, he enters into a house and someone says it was Peter's house. Immediately, everybody in Capernaum showed up right there, all in the house, around the house. Uh, they couldn't get, and you couldn't get anywhere near the house. And Jesus taught the word. Now, Luke tells us in his story that the Pharisees and the doctors of the law and the scribes were there and the power of Jesus was present to heal them. As far as I know, that is the only time in the gospel story that we have Jesus actually recorded healing the Pharisees, the doctors of the law, the religious people, as his greatest enemies were mostly of that crowd. And here we have Jesus healing them. And uh, maybe that's why the house was so crowded. I don't know. Uh, it was full of all the religious people. They had gotten in there and filled that house. And then we have uh, the story related to us in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. Since we're there, we'll just read there. And he entered in 
And again, he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together insomuch there was no room to receive them, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born afore. And we know this story. Four men are each carrying the edge of a sheet or blanket type thing. And in that stretcher, that homemade stretcher, is a man that cannot walk. He cannot move. Uh, Chances are the palsy had advanced to the point that he could not sit up. He was just laying there in this blanket, and they came because they heard Jesus was there, and they couldn't get anywhere near Jesus. Now, these were determined men. And so, they climb up on the roof. Most of the houses were were not three and four stories like our uh, Astoria buildings are. Uh, And uh, the roof was basically tile. It was a Um, they only got rain there certain times of the year, and they went up and broke up the roof. We we don't know how big a hole they made. Maybe they just uh, tied the the blanket that he was on to him, and and so he couldn't fall out of it, and they begin to lower that blanket. Maybe he came down straightway, so they'd only need a little hole. Or, who knows, uh, maybe they uh, had to dig a two-by-six hole, in the roof and lowering down flat on the bed. However they did it, they calculated where Jesus was in the room. And uh, I often like the mental picture here. Everybody's crowded around. The Pharisees, the, the doctors of the law are getting healed. This is an amazing thing. Uh, John the Baptist was no fan of these people. Uh, he'd called them vipers and uh, talked, them, talked about them in very negative terms, and Jesus had healed them, and then dust starts falling from the roof, and pretty soon they hear some noise as Jesus is preaching the Word. And then they see sunlight coming through the roof. And then they see a man lowered down right in front. And Jesus' first words is recorded to this man. It says, He beheld whose faith? The faith of the men that brought him. They knew that if they could get this man to Jesus, Jesus was going to deal with his problems. You know, there's a a whole lesson for us. If we could just get people to pay attention. One of the issues, uh, and I wish you'd keep this in prayer, that I'm having at community is people have their own ideas. And they won't even listen. I, I had to just tell one man, I, I said, you, you claim you understand what the Bible teaches about communion and you won't even have a discussion about what... No, I have nothing to say. And uh, what do you do? I just simply had to give him a warning. I said, sir... I said, you are so ignorant of the facts. I can't even have a discussion with you about what the issue is. And, and that's not pleasant. I don't like doing that. I, I like being able to have a talk with someone. Explain to them what the... And by the way, the people who are listening, 
our understanding. There is a difference between the way things were done and the way things ought to be done. And so keep that in prayer, that we uh, bring things the way they ought to be. What is the thing that Jesus does? He says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Isn't that amazing? What was the man's greatest problem? Son, thy sins be forgiven. Sin is a much bigger problem than being paralyzed. Being paralyzed is a temporary problem. It's an earthly problem. This body is eventually going to pass away and... I don't know, as I grow a little older, especially on that 25-mile bike ride on Monday, I was thinking, you know, I can't wait until I get that glorified body. This old one is, is wearing out. Uh, I don't have the endurance I used to uh, when I was a little younger. And, uh, but praise the Lord, survived. And uh, Tyler, or ibuprofen and a few other things and a good dinner and drove home. And, and uh, I, I will tell you, The biggest problem we face is sin. And Jesus always deals with the biggest problem first. Amen? And and so Jesus is now in the hearts and minds of these people who he has just healed. Stop and think about this. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? Only God can forgive sins. And so what does Jesus do? He said, which is harder, to say your sins be forgiven you or to rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, it's a whole lot easier to say sins be forgiven because nobody can see that. That's a spiritual thing. He said, but so you can know I have that power. This is, you know, a a, a lot of times people spend time on the fact that Jesus did not give them signs and did not answer their questions What could be more clear than what happened in this story right here? How how could Jesus be more clear in proclaiming that he is God than he did right here? He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they're going, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, let me prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man's made whole. Rolls up his bed. And could you imagine the reunion outside the house? As he goes out and he meets his four friends, the man is made whole on the inside and the outside. Isn't isn't that just such a... And everyone there saw it. And as the story ends here... In all three accounts, uh, let's, uh, we're in Mark, let's look at verse 12. It says, And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Luke says, We've seen strange things today. Uh, and, and so... The, the story is brought into its fullness here and we begin to understand. This is Jesus 
establishing in his person. He just finished the Sermon on the Mount. There were people in that house that heard the Sermon on the Mount. And he is teaching. He heals the Pharisees. He proves that he is in very deed the God of Israel by claiming the power to forgive sins. And some of those very people that were healed physically by Jesus became his most bitter and hate-filled enemies. How do you do that? Where does that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Refusing to believe what Jesus said about himself. We got a Bible. I had a young man. I was going down. Oh, by the way, we did get an answer to prayer. Our DOT permit is finally going to be on its way. Been uh, working on this thing since the middle of December. Uh, but on the way, I met a young man, and he said, Mr., can you help me? And uh, I'm sitting there going and looking at him. Kind of, I said, what kind of help do you want? He said, I need money. I said, well, I can't help you with money. We don't, we don't do that. He says, what, don't you believe in me? I said, no, I don't believe in you. I said, I don't believe in me. I don't believe in any human being. I said, I do believe in God. And then his next question was hilarious. Well, what's God telling you to do right now? And I'm going, oh my, I laughed. I said, you, you don't even want to know. I said, you, you don't know who you're talking to here. I said, but I'll tell you what. I said, I've got to run. I've got to go down and see some, this thing on church business. I said, I should be back in two hours. Game and track. I said, church is right around the corner. I said, as soon as I get back, I said, you come four o'clock and we'll sit down and talk. And so he come. He, sure enough, I got back here about 3.45, quarter till, something like that. And sitting in my office, it kind of passed out of my head. And Andrew ducks in, do you have an appointment at four o'clock? Oh, yeah. Okay, so he comes in and, and we talk and talk and Oh, yeah, I, I know God. I know the Bible. I said, well, how much of the Bible have you read? Oh, I ha- haven't read any of it. Uh, I said, so you know all about the Bible, but you've never read it. He says, well, God talks to me all the time. Don't you believe that? I said, no, I don't believe that. And, and he's just looking at me like I have three heads. I said, you see... God speaks to us through what's written down. How many of you have heard me say that? I said, by the way, how in the world do you know these voices you're hearing come from God unless you can check it out? Uh, I never thought about that. And so I want you to pray for him. Um, His name is Kaiser. And so... At least that's what he told me his name was. He may have made it up. I don't know. But pray for Kaiser. Uh, God knows who he is. You see, the problem is when we turn our back on the written word of God, 
we are going to become an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to find ourselves fighting against Jesus. You can't help it. If you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe what's written down, if you will not accept Jesus' word, and and we wonder where these guys come from and why they were so strong in their opposition to Jesus, it was because of events like this where Jesus proves to them who he is, and they refuse to accept the proof, even though it's right there in front of their faces. Now Jesus is really going to play with their minds. If we'll go back to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came unto his own city. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, uh, I'm at the wrong Matthew, chapter 9 here. Okay, there we go. Uh, Verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. One of the other Gospels tells us his name is also Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. He saith unto them, unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So here Jesus calls Matthew. Luke tells us that he's a publican. His name, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, tells us that he is actually more than likely part of the house of Levi, the tribe of Levi. He may not have been one of the priests, but his main duties would have been serving in the temple. And here he was serving the Romans, collecting tax money for the Romans. I mean, in America, this is hard for us to to really fathom, but we're going to be talking about this on our bike trip as we go back to Lexington and Concord, as the British Parliament had been uh, taxing the colonies to pay for a war that was fought to protect them. The French and Indian War was fought to protect these colonies. And the king was taxing them, and they were complaining about that. Now, some of that, they shouldn't have been complaining about. But as we study the rest of the thing, there were other things that were going on. Not just, it it wasn't about just taxes. You know, everybody claims taxation without representation, but they don't tell you the other half of the story. Those representatives that were sent to, um, to England with the Declaration of Independence... Uh, a year and a half or so later, we're told no taxation without representation and if they offer you representation, refuse it. Because there had been far too many injustices. Housing of British troops, confiscation of goods, many outrages upon the citizenry. I'll, I'll tell you, if you read those things and understand what was really going on, It'll make you want to fight the revolution all over again. Because there was much, much injustice. And here Matthew is collecting taxes for the Romans. You know what they did with the tax collector in Boston? 
They dipped him in tar and then busted some feather pillows and covered him with little chicken feathers and goose down and shipped him out of town that way. Uh, that would not have been a very pleasant thing to have happen. And this was a Jewish man who had sold out to the Romans. And by the way, if you wanted to do pretty well and comfortable with the Romans, you didn't mind being around the Romans, hey, collect taxes for them. And you got paid on a commission. Only you decided what your commission was, which meant most of the publicans were also thieves as well. So here we got a guy that if we were talking about somebody spiritual, somebody who loved God, who loved Israel, would Matthew be on your list? You see, this is what the Bible's telling us. God doesn't look on what's on the outside. He looks on what's in the hearts. Amen? Just like he did with the man that was paralyzed. He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. By the way, can your sins be forgiven you by someone else praying for you? Nope. You see, that man had some faith too now, didn't he? And I wonder where his faith came from. Well, Jesus was admiring the faith of his four friends. That's where his faith came from now, wasn't it? Do you see the connection? And this is what we mean by understanding our Bible in the context of the Bible. And now we have Jesus actually reaching out to a man named Matthew, who is a publican. And uh, uh, though Matthew kind of skips over this and gives us an abbreviated account of his calling, uh, it says that he left all and followed Jesus. Here he is sitting at the table. He's got the books open. He's making an accounting that has to be turned into his superior who knows, maybe his superior was even Zacchaeus. We don't know. Zacchaeus was the chief of the publicans. It's going to be about two years later, the third year of Jesus' ministry, before Zacchaeus is introduced to Jesus. But I wonder if this event, I mean, just stop and think. Maybe this is where it all got started with Zacchaeus. Matthew is one of my best collectors and he just left everything on the table and now he's following this guy named Jesus. What kind of spell did he cast over Matthew? Well, just wait. It didn't stop with just Matthew, did it? Look in the next verse here. And it came to pass as Jesus sat meet in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So Matthew invites Jesus to his house. And that term sinner was an actual set uh, of, of Jewish people who cared nothing for the laws of God. They were Jewish. They lived in the land of Israel. Uh, they were not uh, ashamed to be identified as Jewish in their heritage. But I'll tell you what, you never saw them at synagogue. They didn't pay any attention on the holy days. They were the guys out on the Sabbath day grilling steaks and kindling a fire and doing all those things just to kind of stick their finger in the eye of all the other observant Jews around them who were eating cold food because you're not allowed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Uh, these were people who scoffed at the Pharisees. And was it any wonder why they did? 
because they were smart enough to understand the self-righteousness and the wickedness of these quote-unquote holy men. They knew the emptiness that was there. And so the publicans and the Pharisees, I mean the publicans and the sinners are there in Matthew's house. And where's Jesus and his disciples? Sitting down, eating with them. Oh, now, what had he just done? He had just told them he had the power to forgive sins. That he was the God of Israel. And now he's sitting down with the very people who were the embodiment of those that hated the God of Israel. This is why I say Jesus was really just, well, we have phrase, uh, now don't do this, but you have a dog and you really want to get him mad. You go grab a hold of that chain that he's got on there and you just yank it good and hard and then run out just beyond where the chain goes. And I mean, that, that, that will get, you better hope the chain doesn't break. Because uh, you're going to be dinner. I mean, and this is what Jesus was doing to these people. He was, Jesus had this pattern. This was his parables. With the same story, those that wanted truth, he would draw closer to him and give him an understanding of truth. And at the very same time, with the very same words and the very same inflections, he was infuriating and pushing away those who didn't want the truth. I want to challenge you, only Jesus is a master of the parable. Only Jesus could accomplish that because Jesus was using his presence as the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of these men and the outside at the very same time. And so, um, the Pharisees, verse 11, they saw it. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And interesting enough, who was eating with publicans and sinners and with Jesus? The disciples were. And, uh, but when Jesus heard that, he said, They that behold, behold, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, Jesus is setting the precedent here. Hey, these people are not, their sin is not being condoned. But I'm going to meet with them because they want the truth. They want a true worship. I mean, we live in a day where people say, well, listen, you just, you need to meet people where they are. And so, let's have church in a bar because there's a lot of sinners in a bar. That's what Jesus, that's not what was going on here. Hello? Jesus was condemning the sin. But they were willing to listen to Jesus because they knew that he loved them and could do something about it. They were smart enough to understand that the Pharisees and the doctors of the law and the synagogues was not the place to get rid of sin. Because these people knew what those people did when the rest of the world wasn't looking. You see, 
these scribes and these Pharisees and doctors of the law had figured out all kinds of ways to cheat on their taxes that they owed to Rome. You don't think Matthew was wise to this foolishness? But he went to his superiors and said, listen, if we deal anything here, we're going to start a war. We can't, we can't do that. And so they, they knew what kind of cheats and liars they were. And that's why they couldn't go, wouldn't go to the synagogue and didn't care for the, what they had. But we, we come on here and then uh, we have the disciples of John getting a little scared here in verse 14. And they came to him, uh, they came, uh, then came to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast. Now, why did Jesus use this terminology of the bride chamber and the bridegroom? Because John had already used it. He said, I am the friend of the groom. He said, I'm rejoicing because of the gladness and the joy that is in his life. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And these disciples of John were saying, hey, this, and, and Jesus was trying to explain to them. Look at verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in... To fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. I don't know if you've ever tried this or not, but jeans especially, they shrink a little bit the first several times you wash them. Well, you get a hole and you put a patch of brand new material right over top of that thing, and then you wash the jeans and sew it in good and tight and all of those things. How many remember the old iron-on patches? I mean, my mom lived by iron-on patches with us three boys. Just patch, and she'd put it in the washer, and then in the dryer, and that new patch would just shrivel up a little bit and shred the whole thing. Uh, just This is what Jesus was talking about. And you see, this ties into our understanding of the Bible dispensationally as well, does it not? Jesus is saying, listen... You can't take what you understand about God and patch it up with what I am teaching you. Things are going to change. It's going to be a different administration, a different economy, if you would use the word. And he also uses the picture of the, uh, of the wine bottles as you would take uh, new grape juice and put it into a bottle if you weren't careful that the fermentation process could begin, and it would just literally burst the old bottles. But if you kept uh, the cork on and kept the air out and the seal tight, the fermentation process did not kick in. And so what Jesus is trying to tell them is, God's administration, the law, everything that you know, these people who claim to be doctors and Lawyers of God's word and and stand in the place of Moses 
They don't know what they're talking about anymore. They've got to understand the message that I am bringing. And we read on down through Matthew chapter 9. We get to verse 18. It says, While he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. So, we have Jesus working with the disciples of John. The Pharisees are there. It, it appears to be the morning after the meal at Matthew's house where all the publicans and the sinners were there. We're just going to use Matthew's chronology here. And Jesus follows Jairus to his home. He is a ruler of the synagogue. And on the way, the woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops, and he puts things in perspective. He wants her to understand it was not some magical trinket. It was just not the fact that she got to touch his garment that healed her. It was faith. And it was not some unknown quantity. Jesus stopped. And he said, someone touched me. And the disciples were going, everybody's touching you. He says, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Now what is virtue? If you look it up in the dictionary, it says purity. But let's go back to the leper. What kind of purity did Jesus have? He had a purity that made unclean things clean. His purity purified things that are around him. Now, in Peter, we're told, 2 Peter, we're told to add to our faith virtue. Do you know what that means? It means as Christians, we should live in such a way that our surroundings are influenced by the way we live. You know what? We shouldn't just be another one of the guys at work. We shouldn't just be uh, part of everything that's going on in, in this world. And that's not the easiest thing to do because... the first thing the world will accuse us of is being a hypocrite. But if we'll live the life that Jesus wants us to live, we can make a difference in this world. Amen? And this is the story here. And then Jesus heals the daughter. And we get down to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, And when Jesus departed thence, the house of Jairus, two blind men follow him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now, Jesus healed a lot of blind men in the Bible story. But obviously, there were many more blind men that aren't recorded in the Bible story. There were many more lame. Jesus went about, and John gives us the end of the Gospels, telling us that if every miracle that Jesus did was written down, the world itself could not contain all the books that should be written. Was was he using hyperbole? Maybe just a little bit. But what he was trying to help you and I understand that 
All we are getting in the Gospels is just a little scraping off the top of everything that Jesus did. Amen? And so these blind men follow him from Jairus' house. And Jesus asked, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yes, Lord. Then Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As he went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitude marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But here we have the change in verse 34. But... The Pharisee said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease of the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. See, the people saw that as Jesus healed these two blind men, they went about and the people of the area, they found this demon-possessed man that couldn't speak and they brought him to Jesus and Jesus healed him. The Pharisees could no longer deny the healing power of Jesus Christ. So what did they do? They said, he heals through the power of the devil. This is going to be a repeating theme. And this is what I meant right at the very beginning. When you reject the Word of God, you will become the enemy of Jesus Christ. You will fight against Him. You cannot help it. And that the challenge there is when we have the Word of God, let's do with it what Jesus intended us to do. Just each word, simply. Let's follow the Bible as Christ intended us to follow His Word. All God's people say. And this concludes the record of the first year of ministry of the Lord. We'll pick that up with His second Passover in John chapter 5, Lord willing, next Sunday night. So, let's uh, just have a quick word of prayer and then we'll get into our prayer time. All God's people said, Amen. Okay, take your prayer list if you would. Let's go through this, teens.